every week to worship together. And uh, again, if you're new, I want to welcome you. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, so welcome. Uh, I know it takes courage coming to a new place, and so I hope tonight is a lot of fun for you. And we kind of winding up a series that we've been in the last three weeks called Blind Spots, looking at the reality of some of these Old Testament books that are kind of toward the end of the Old Testament. They're called Minor Prophets, and it's not because they don't have a major message. It's just because they're shorter, and, and they're kind of the Minor Prophets. There's about 12 of them, and tonight we're looking at the book of Micah, which is kind of called the, it's kind of right in the middle of this collection of books that's kind of spoken in through God, through the people, uh, through the, uh, to the people, through the prophets that were raised up in that time following where uh, King David and King Solomon had risen, kind of the nation of Israel, and they had fallen apart, and then leading up to Christ. And so in that intertestamental time and in that period of time, so this is about 742 to 686 B.C., when this message comes up, and this message is an interesting message, and, and we've been honest looking through this, that this blind spots, we, we realize we all have them in times, and if the people of God back then can have them, then, well, we can too. And so it's important for us to look at some of these, and we also have kind of noticed that some of these messages are tough. They're not easy. They're kind of like, they seem cranky uh, when you look at some of these prophets' messages. And there's maybe a reason to that that I want to unpack a little bit tonight as we move forward. Look at that, and then we're going to move into a time of communion and one more song, and then we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. So um, where we go tonight looks at this idea of injustice. And in order to get there where I want us to go, I want you to actually think back to your childhood days for some of you, that's a little easier than others of us. Um, but I want you to think back to your childhood days and the question that dominated your life. I'm going to tell you, it's not what was for dinner. That's not the question. I want you to think of the question that dominated your life when you were three, four, five, six years old. And it was this. Which superhero was really the best superhero? Right? I mean, wasn't that like dominating in your, how many of you, and here's what I want you to do. You're going to turn to your neighborhood, three, four people right around you, okay? And now what, you're going to debate now. So bring out the four, five, six-year-old you and be like, no, this is the best superhero, okay? So you have like 32 and a half seconds, go. Who was the best superhero in your mind, okay? So talk to the people around you, try to convince them. You might have your work cut out for you. Did you want to fly? Did you want the cool utility belt? The nice vehicle? Hold your breath underwater? What was your best, most important? How you doing, Virginia? All right, how many of you, Superman, that was your best? Okay, a few. Uh, how many of you like the utility belt and Batman's car better? Batman? Okay. Renegades. Um, so... Dark people, it's just okay. Um, Wonder Woman, anyone? Okay, a cool belt and an invisible plane. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Uh, anyone? Aquaman. Okay, he was not mine either. Yes, he was. No, okay. Um, Aquaman was cool. Like he could hold his breath and swim and talk to fish. That's that's okay. That's a thing. Um, uh, Flash, like someone could run really fast. Anyone? Okay, so a few of them. I know I'm leaving out a few, and you could debate about that over dinner and looking at cars and all that kind of stuff. So um, the cool thing about superheroes is every kid wanted to be one because not just the cool powers were awesome and the ability to fly and you know, break through walls and all that kind of stuff. That would be an awesome benefit, 
But I think every kid in, in one shape or another wanted to be a superhero because they wanted to be heroic. In a lot of ways, superheroes stood up against injustice. They were people who stood up for the little guy. They were people who stood up to say, hey, this is wrong, and I'm going to right that wrong, right? That's why we endear ourselves to superheroes. We just kind of want to be them. But then we grow up, and we realize, okay, superhero, fantasy. Okay, unless you get a lot of money. Uh, and then maybe you could try to be a superhero. But that's, it's not reality. And so the older I got, I moved from the guy who had the cape to the guy who had the chains. Anyone with me? Mr. T. You wanted to be Mr. T. Bad attitude. I just thought that was so cool. And I knew I could not walk around with all those chains. It would just weigh me down. I was not strong enough to do that. But there was something cool about the A-team. Now, for those of you who are under 25, you don't know the A-team. Like those of us who are over 25 know the A-team. Am I right? Okay, the A-team, for those over 25, if you are over 25, you know the A-team, right? For those under 25, like, you know the movie, the A-team. Okay, Um, the TV show, the A-team, was way cool because these were renegade guys who were just a ragtag team of people thrown together who stood up against injustice. And I think deep down in your heart, somewhere along the way, you probably wanted to grow up and drive a van like that. And just be a renegade and like right the wrongs of the world. But then you realize vans get horrible gas mileage, right? And so you settled for the Prius. And so that's kind of where your life is at right now. But maybe deep down you wanted to be that. See, we grow up and we realize as much as maybe we want to right the wrongs, doing that has a cost, doesn't it? And I think this is probably where it goes from this internal dream kind of to the reality of life. And we begin to understand that at some point, just to stand up for the little guy, to fight injustice, to push back darkness in some ways has a cost to it. And so sometimes we get to the place where it's just easier to look the other way. It's just easier to become numb or become blind to the things going on even around us. Sometimes, if we're honest, we we realize, we look around in our world, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but it's it's overwhelming. See, it's not just the simple injustice that Superman could fix in an episode a week, or the A-team could solve and no one ever got shot. It, it becomes overwhelming. The reality is what you see unfolding around you. And I think sometimes it becomes really easy just to kind of tuck away and kind of pull back and say, you know, I, I just, I, I'm one person. I, what in the world am I going to do? And so I can. And so I become blind. I become numb. And, and friends, that feeling right there, that sense right there, that's the book of Micah. In a nutshell, that's what the prophet Micah is pointing out. He comes to the people of God and he says, you become numb. You become blinded to the injustice around you. And not only that, you're actually taking part in this. See, the book of Micah shows up into the scene where the people of God have been drifting for a while. And their devotion, we kind of looked at that the first week, that we can become blinded to the goodness and to the grace of God. We can become blinded to comfort. We can become blinded to the bubble, what Brian looked at last week, where we just make it all about us. And in Micah, he says, look, you just become blinded to the things going on around you. 
Now, you can read through the book of Micah. There's three parts to it. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are kind of one scene. Chapter 3 and 4 are another. And chapter kind of 5 through 7 is this other uh, scene that's unfolding. These these things that uh, that you can really kind of look at it into three parts. And Micah is actually speaking to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel. Some prophets only had a message to one. And Micah is actually pretty well split to both. He's speaking into both the people of God into both sections, and he's saying, look, there's something going on here that God wants to raise up something different within you and call something out within you. And you read through it. Uh, I was on a walk a week ago listening to the book of Micah, going through you version, right? It took me 25 minutes to listen to it. And I'm telling you, as you go through it, you're going to be like, this is in the Bible? Like, talking about how the people of God have that actually got to the place where they're like, it's just crazy synonyms and, and pictures and stories, and you're like, that's, I've never read that. And you'll, you'll finish it, and you'll be like, man, that dude is cranky. And in, in some ways, he is. It, it, think of it this way. If, um, how many of you are musically inclined? You would say, I'm musically inclined, right? You'd say that, okay? How many of you, you're like, no. Um, I carry a bag, not a note. Uh, so if that's you, let's say you're at a junior high concert, right? Or an elementary age you know, school concert. Some of you live that, and I'm sorry to bring up bad memories. Um, but... You're there, right? And someone sings or someone's playing an instrument, and it's badly out of tune, right? Now, for some of you, you have a tin ear. And especially if you're related to someone on the stage, you don't care. You love them. And you're like, your love is blind, and it overlooks all those mistakes and mess-ups. But if you are musically inclined, am I right? And you watch the outtakes of, like, American Idol, and you're like, yo, those people should never sing or talk ever, Right? If you're musically inclined and the note is off-key, it drives you crazy, doesn't it? Because you know how it should be. And it's so far from that. I want you to keep that in mind when you read the book of the prophets. Because in a lot of ways, they're they're given a a big weight from God. Because they, they see things the way God sees them. And they hear the world in the which way God hears. They, they know the way it should be, the way God dreams it to be. And then they see reality of how far away it is from what it should be. And so when the prophets are speaking, sometimes we look at it and go, man, they're cranky. Well, the reality is they've got this musical tone that they just hear the way God wants it to be. And they realize they're so far away from that. And so Micah shows up in the scene and he begins challenging the people. In fact, if you have your Bible, uh, either digital or live version, I guess, um, you can turn to chapter 2, starting to verse 1. Let me just read a couple of verses here. You'll kind of get the flavor of what's going on. He says, Woe to you, to those of you who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their bed. All morning, all right, morning's light, they carry out because it's in their power to do so. They covet fields, they seize them. They, they look for houses and they take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their, uh, their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly around. Micah is speaking to the people of God and, and to the people in the land who have, who have just turned a blind eye to injustice, become numb to what's going on around them, and really began just taking care of number one. And whatever they wanted to put their hands to, whatever they wanted to put their mind to, their agenda to, they just did. And it got to the place where it began 
pointing out this biblical injustice. So tonight I want to give you a little bit of a definition of biblical injustice, kind of in two parts. The first part is this. Biblical injustice is when those with power use it to abuse those without power. In a nutshell, that's kind of what Micah is saying. That the Hebrew text literally is saying, you're becoming this abuser. That you have this power, this ability. Power is in your hands, he says, to do whatever you want, and you just do it. And you have no regard for how the, the ripple effect or the implications of those things. You just do it. And we know as believers that we're called to serve others, not enslave them. Now, for some of us, this is maybe hard to picture because you're like, well, Jack, that, that seems like a social issue, right? Well, here's the truth. Injustice is not just a social issue. In fact, injustice, according to the scriptures, is very much a spiritual issue. And, and we may like to try to just leave it in the social sector, but it has spiritual implications that those who are given power are called to use their power for the weak, not against the weak. And so this crosses over. It's not just a political thing, not just a social thing. It has spiritual implications to it. In fact, Micah goes on, he begins addressing the leaders in chapter 2 and chapter 3, speaking to the leaders of the people. And he says, lately my people have risen up like an enemy. They're stripping off the rich robes of people who are like they're coming back from war, and they're just taking advantage. And you can read through chapter 2 and chapter 3 and kind of see how this issue is boiled up. They're not only ignored the issue and become blind to it, they actually become a part of the problem. And see, as leaders, as believers in Christ, as, as God's people, we're, to, we're, to be, we're called to be part of the solution, not curators of the problem. And there's a challenge here for all of us. See, God cares deeply about justice because jo- justice is a part of who God is. It just is. It's a part of who he is. In fact, look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is, I'll put it up here. Um, It says, he, speaking of God, is our rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, who is upright and just is he. Justice is a part of who God is. He is just as much just as he is holy. So justice is very much a part of the character of God. That's why this is a spiritual issue, not just a social one or a political one. See, biblical injustice is not just when those with power use it to abuse others. Biblical injustice is when those who can do good don't. It's when those who can do good, they can step into the gap, they can stand in the gap, they can step forward into a moment and they choose not to. Because either they've become numb or they've become blind to it. That's the rip that Micah is kind of putting forth upon the people in chapter 3 and upon these leaders, kind of saying, look, you're to be part of the solution. And the reality is you become a curator of the problem. And, and you're taking advantage of the things around you instead of seizing moments and opportunities to be part of the solution. Now, for some of you sitting here, you're like, well dude, lighten up, okay? I do my best to be good. I, I do my best to kind of look out for people around me, and, and I, I kind of want to give back, and that's cool. I, I'm not calling that out as something less than. I, I just think it's important for us to have a basis, maybe, for why you would do that. Because it's fuel for why you should do that. 
and why you can, as a follower of God, begin to step forward into those moments. In fact, maybe it rolls forward into the most famous chapter of Micah. You'll find a, a couple uh, messianic prophecies that you'll see in the book of Micah, but maybe the most famous passage takes place in Micah chapter 6. In Micah chapter 6, it starts off verses 1 through 4, so in this courtroom scene. And it's this courtroom scene where God is calling uh, a message and kind of calling a... Um, in a lot of ways, he's kind of acting uh, as a plaintiff, so to speak. Here's the charge against my people. Here, here's, here's the charge against them. And he calls the mountains and the hills as witnesses. Now, in ancient Near East literature, that is a sign of, okay, I'm calling to something that is so old and has been here all along that they are true witnesses. They've witnessed exactly what's going on. They're not biased in any sense. And so when you read that, you begin to read that God is calling this charge against his people. He said, like, what do you mean to do? And then it kind of goes into this famous passage here, chapter uh, 6, verse 6. It says this, With what shall I come before the Lord, but come before Yahweh? Should I bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calf a year old? So you'll notice this progression. Do I come bowing down? Do I come with burnt offerings? Do I come bringing a firstborn calf? Will Yahweh be pleased with a thousand rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? What would please our great and good God? What does he really want from us? And then verse 8. Will the Lord be pleased in all these things? No. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does Yahweh require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The crux of the whole book of Micah is summed up in that one verse. What does God want from us? Does he want these burnt offerings? Does he want a thousand, you know, 10,000 rivers of oil? What do, what do you do to bring to God? God says, I want you to live your life. I want you to act justly. I want you to love mercy. And I want you to walk humbly with me. I want you to be that kind of person, not one who's become numb or become blinded to the things going on around you because it moves my heart. And I want you to have my kind of heart. I want you to act justly. It's interesting. Uh, we understand justice, don't we? You know why we understand justice? Because we understand when we're not given it, right? Anyone ever had someone do something against you that was unjust? Anyone ever been ticked off before, been hurt before? There should be a few more hands in the room because I've talked to some of you. Okay, um, so the reality is we understand what it is to be slighted. We, we understand what it is to be looked past. We understand what it is to be taken advantage of, right? We understand those feelings. And what do we feel in those moments? We feel rage. We feel angry. We feel disappointment. We feel hurt. We feel revenge, right? I mean, most of Hollywood's movies are about revenge. You wronged me, and so now I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to do something. I'm going to act justly because justice was not given to me. We understand that feeling. We get riled up when it happens to us. Kind of like uh, Dave, who was a former baseball umpire who lived in the Boulder area, and he was driving in the snow one day, 
and maybe driving a little fast, the cop pulled him over, and he was trying to explain himself. Maybe you've been there. We're like, hey, I'm really, I'm an excellent driver. I'm an excellent driver, and I never speed, ever, and I just happened to be running a little fast today, and I'm so sorry. This is going to look bad on my insurance, and would you just kind of give me a warning this time? Anyone ever had this conversation, even imaginary? Okay, so you've had this conversation, and Dave's trying this conversation. The cop just says, I, uh, I don't hear you. Um, so here's your ticket. And he says, well, you know, you could go fight it in court. Good luck with that, right? And so what do you feel in that moment? Well, Dave's angry, right? And so then the summer rolls around. It's the first softball game, and he's umpiring. And lo and behold, look who comes up to bat. The cop who gave him his ticket. He recognizes him. The cop recognizes him. They have a little awkward moment at home plate before the pitch is thrown. He says, uh, cop goes, you trying to break the ice. Hey, um, how'd that ticket thing work out? And Dave just, you know, quietly says, you better swing at everything. Because we know justice, right? I don't care if the ball is 10 feet over your head. You better swing. It's a strike. Because in this moment now, the tables are turned. And now I get to act justly, and I get to act my revenge. See, we can get riled up in those moments. And here, I think, is what Micah is trying to point out to us. We understand what it is to get riled up by injustice that happens to us. Do you ever get riled up when you see injustice in the world? Or do you become numb to it because it's so much? Or do you get blinded to it? Because it's, it's too much, it's too far away. How, how, do I, how am I supposed to do anything? What does the Lord require of you? Act justly. Love, mercy. This uh, word for mercy here is the word hesed in Hebrew. It's used about 250 times in the Old Testament. It's, it's the Old Testament version of grace in the New Testament. In fact, it's such a beautiful word that you really can't describe it in any English word. You can't just sum it up in one word. There's several words to it. This idea of this covenant kind of love, this loyal love that has no end to it. You're to love mercy. You're to have this unending loyalty. You're to live in the shadow of the un. Uh, ending loyalty that God has for you through Christ. That that's the beauty of grace. It's the beauty of Hesed love. It's bringing together. Jesus is the one who brings that together and puts it on display and says, this is yours if you follow me, if you trust me. It's all yours. And it's the kind of love I want to build into your life, that you would become a person that would begin to love this kind of way. That injustice would stir you to move and to action in some way and that you would be a person who loves this kind of way the people around you and the people God brings across your path that you would act justly you would love mercy you'd be responsive I love what um, Bill Hybels wrote a book called The Holy Discontent in it he says these words I believe the motivating reason why millions of people choose to do good in the world around them is because they see They see some bad in the world around them. They see something wrong. In fact, there's something so wrong that they can't stand it. And as a result, they devote their vocational lives, their volunteer energies, and their hard-earned money to make sure that it gets fixed. 
that is a flower of God that begins to stir up within us. You're to act justly. You're to love mercy. And you walk humbly with God. Walking humbly with God is this notion of saying, hey, um, I'm with God by his grace and by his hesed love, uh, and it's only because of that. So I'm not going to become all high and mighty. Where, see, I'm the defender of injustice. And now, because I do that and I see that you don't, I'm now better than you. See, walking humbly with God says, no, no, no. This isn't a ranking thing. This isn't, okay, this person does it a little bit more than this person, so therefore they're a little bit better. No. This is, I want to be a person that acts justly, loves mercy, and I walk humbly with God, because there, for the grace of God, do I. He sought me out. He brought me home. He welcomed me into relationship, and now I get to actually walk with him. I get to see the world the way he sees the world. I get to interact with the world the way he would have me interact with the world. I get to respond the way that he's calling and shaping and changing me to respond to the situation that's in front of me. So how do you do that? How do you act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God? I think God kind of makes it clear in this passage, but I want to unpack to me just a simple thing that uh, maybe some questions that you can begin to circulate around in your mind and your soul. In the here and now moments of your life, here's some questions to think about. What does it look like to act fairly in this situation that you're in, that is in front of you? If we would become people that say, okay, what's the fair thing to do, the best I know how, in this moment that I'm in? What does it look like to do the right thing? Where he said earlier that the reality is the older you get, you realize doing the right thing has a cost to it. Sometimes that's why it's easier just to look the other way. That's why it's easier to become numb or to get blinded to it. Now, what does it look like to do the right thing in this moment, God? Begin to ask questions like that. What is it to stand in the gap for the injustice I see around me? Now, it's easy, again, to be overwhelmed with all the injustice we can kind of see. and We can pick it out. But maybe ask yourself this question. Are my actions mirroring the heart of God by serving the interest of others? Or do my actions ignore the interest of others? Are my actions mirroring the heart of God where I, I'm trying to serve the interest of others? Or am I just ignoring the interest of others and making it all about me. See, the truth is that through God, even the smallest actions that we take in our life can have a big impact and a ripple effect for years in people's lives, right? The way we take time to notice and include the one who's been passed by or passed over, to take a moment and to use your attention, that is a valuable gift in our chaotic society, isn't it? In our warped speed society, your attention and your time are valuable gifts to give people. The way you extend a hand to one who needs it, that's a valuable gift that you can give. The actions of living out integrity and doing the right thing. The way we as a local church begin to put this into expression. See, this is not something we just talk about individually. This is something we do as a church. And I'm so proud to be a part of a church and a part of a gathering of people who said, this, is, this, is ma- this matters to us. So it's not, so we're not going to just come together and, and be the church. We're going to actually go and scatter and be the church. There's a gathering component to it, and there's a scattering component to it. And we get to be the church. 
I wish all of you could have been there Tuesday when we loaded up all the food that you guys donated for the month of October. Walk over to John B. Wright in case after case, cart after cart, wheel it in there, hundreds of pounds of food into this food pantry that was an office before that had not one can of food in it. And then suddenly there's just hundreds of cans of food and noodles and sauce and just every kind of weird thing. A couple weird things donated. Um... They were weird, okay? I'm just going to be honest. I didn't even know what they were called, and they creeped me out a little bit. But, um, so, ha, 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 funny. Okay, so, um, we threw those away. Um, but, it was awesome to see it. And for Christian to come down, who's the principal at John B. Wright, you know, we've done hygiene kits for those kids, 400 kids, one of the poorest schools in our city, two, you know, two blocks from us. And we've said as a church, hey, we're going to, the best we know how, they matter to God, they matter to us, and we're going to do something about it the best we can. We're going to step in. And so we've done hygiene kits. You all did 400 and some backpacks. Every kid, it was so awesome to walk around and see kids with your backpacks, walking around with their school supplies, smiling, going to class, woo And it's your backpack that you gave with the donations of stuff you put in there. See, we're making a difference there. You've done that. Some small groups, we've fed the homeless. We've worked with Teen Challenge. We've done things with at-risk kids here. I don't know if you know. Remember, part of the offering we do, we set aside 5%. We kind of put toward church planning, and we, we tithe too. We put another 5% into missions. And we've given uh, gift cards and things for incentive for at-risk kids here uh, who, to say, hey, stay in school, keep going, keep working on your grades. And we give them incentives on that, working with the wellness coordinator here this Christmas, we're getting ready to do a whole uh, sit-down dinner for every teacher and every administrator, every janitorial custodial staff here at Catalina who works here. They're going to get a hot meal just from Element City Church to say, we value your impact on the lives of the kids that call Catalina home. No one's done that for them in years, and that's not okay. We're going to fix that. And so as a church, we begin to live this out. Here's the other challenge I'm going to give you. We, um, for John B. Wright this Christmas, what we want to do is we want to start collecting $5 Starbucks cards, okay? And so go. Um, five buck, you know, $5 Starbucks cards. We want to give one to every single teacher and every single administrator there. And if we get double or triple, then they'll get a couple, okay? And so we'd want to do that. So as you're out and about the next couple months or so, pick up a $5 Starbucks card. Bring it back. We're going to collect it. We're going to give it to every teacher there. Sound good? We're going to do some things to bless teachers this year. We're also, um, every Christmas, we do take our offering in December. The whole month of December, we take and set aside 20%. Uh, some of that goes into missions. Some of that kind of helps sure up our finances. Just remember, we move to a place in 2015 where we're, we're responsible for us, okay? So there's no more side little kitties of help and all that stuff. we got to own ourselves. And you guys have been doing so great in that the last couple months. It's been awesome. And we're there. We just got to keep going. And so as you give and partner here with Element City Church, we're ready to be vibrant in that. And here's the cool part. Uh, a couple different things. Uh, an expression, I think, Josh, are you out there? This is where you waved, right? Okay, perfect. Um, so Habitat for Humanity. Uh, we're working on cleaning up a house that is a block from here, right? And right here in the neighborhood. Uh, next Saturday at 8 a.m. So we're looking for a few more people. If you want to give up a couple hours of your life to invest in that, I want to invite you to see Josh out at the bar afterwards. He'll get your name and number, give you all the details with that. He and Barbie are heading that up. So next Saturday, November 8th, you can do that. 
Every December, we set aside, like I said, 20% uh, where we're going to give away. Last year, remember, we gave enough money to buy, you know, 150 chairs for the little theater that sits opposite of this wall behind me. They had no seating in there, had no money for seating. You all bought chairs. So now they can do productions and things in the little theater that they couldn't do before. Okay, so well done for that. This year, I'm so excited. Uh, we have the opportunity, we have a lot of local expression, right, of how God's beginning to help us push back injustice and speak into things. We're going to have an international expression uh, beginning this year. So we're going to take some of that money, that 20% of what we get in the month of December, and we're going to give it away to pay for the um, some of the teacher stuff we're doing here, and then also to sponsor a church in Ecuador, uh, to plant a church in Ecuador uh, along with Pantano Christian and Move City in Sierra Vista, kind of our sister churches that are part with us that we came out of, okay? The three of us are going together. It's $80,000 to plant a church in Ecuador. Here's what it looks like. First phase is you plant the church, you build the church, okay? You, we already have a pastor that's ready to move to this area that's been a part of other church plants that's moving to this part of Ecuador. Then around springtime, we'll come back. And through, this is a partnership between Stadia Church Planning, which we are a Stadia Church Plant, and Compassion International. If you've ever heard of Compassion International, fantastic organization who sponsors children. We're going to have an opportunity, along with those two other churches, to sponsor 200 kids in that village where we're building a church. Everything is filtered through the church. And so that becomes the house where all of those families are ministered to. That becomes the house where all these kids are sponsored through that church and in that local entity, right? And then next fall, we're able to set up trips, uh, short-term mission trips for us to go, for some of you to go meet your kid that you're sponsoring uh, monthly. This is such an exciting opportunity for us to say, okay, we're a part of a church plant. Yeah, you should clap for that. That's a pretty big deal. It's super cool. So we have an opportunity to do that, and that's what we're doing this Christmas. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. And next spring, you'll be thinking about, praying about, what, is it, what would it look like for your family to sponsor a kid? It costs you about $32 a month to sponsor a kid. But that's your kid that you're investing into their education and everything that it is to help raise them up in God as well as bless them. And then you might have the opportunity to go and visit them and see them. It's a great uh, coastal region of Ecuador in the southern part. I'll tell you more about that later. But that's how we as a church are beginning to live this out. So how do we do it as a church? Well, those are ways that we're doing it as a church. How can you do this individually? It's overwhelming when you think about it. So here's how I want you to, to kind of couch it. We use this phrase a lot around here. That um, This has been something that's been really helpful for me and for Amy and I. You and I, uh, we can't be superheroes, but we can be everyday heroic. And here's what that means. Learn the simple principle of do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. If everyone in Element City Church lived by that principle... That's how we begin to push back against some of the injustice and some of the darkness we see around us. We learn to say, okay, how can I do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? I know you don't have the resource bandwidth to solve every problem in the world, right? Anyone have that? I'd love to meet you. Um, I don't have that. You don't have that either. But here's what you can do. If God brings an issue in front of you and you have the means and the ability to solve it, solve it. That's what it means to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.
to say, hey, this is mine. It came across my radar, and I have the ability, we have the ability to do that. That's been some of the greatest joyous moments of my life is when Amy and I have kind of noticed something and we've said, hey, we have the resources to fix that. And so we did. And we oftentimes did it anonymously and oftentimes did it without anyone knowing. Why? Because it's not about, this is about walking humbly. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be anonymous, but I'm telling you that's some of the greatest joys of my life is when we've been able to practice this and live that out. It's maybe what uh, Galatians gets to as Paul's wrapping up the book of Galatians. He says these words here. He says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, that's the key phrase. As you have opportunity, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. As you have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the family of believers, that you begin to see your world around you. See, can it really work? Can one man, can one woman, can one family make a difference in the world and change everything? No, but one God can. And one God can write a story where one man, one woman, one family at one moment in this time sees one cause, sees one need, and they step in, they step up, and they fix it. They solve it. They speak into it. They, they bring aid into that moment. And the ripple effect of that you may never know the results of. That's the beauty of following after God. That's the beauty of saying, God, I want you to use my life. I don't want to become blinded, and I don't want to become numb. What is Micah saying? You want to know how to love God and to walk in relationship with him as he loves you in this unending, life-giving kind of love. You act justly. You love mercy. And you walk humbly with him. You do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so I'm going to call the, ask the band to come back up, and we're going to take a moment for communion, and we're going to sing a song here. And I'm going to invite you into a, a little space, okay? I threw a lot at you at some of the things we've done. I threw a lot at you at some things that are coming up that we're going to be a part of doing corporately as a whole church. But I want to create some space for you to think about, who is it this week? Has God been bringing anyone across your path that you'd say, you know what, I, I think that's my, my one. I think, I think that's my one. Maybe you've responded to it already. And, and I just want you to take a moment and just thank God that you noticed it and that you had the capacity to respond to it and ask him to bless in the midst of that. I don't know how long that'll continue for you, the one. Maybe it's just going to be a little thing here and then, and then it's going to move on to another one do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so I'm going to give you a little space as we remember communion. So if you're a, a follower of Christ, we kind of do this every week here. We give you an opportunity to remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ as he gave his body, his blood, shed for you in the forgiveness of your sins, to recognize that his grace is enough for you. It's enough for me. And as we live in the shadow, we live in the embrace of his grace, we're then freed up to then go be people who act justly, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with him. And so, Father, as we take this moment to remember communion, remember your sacrifice for us, Jesus, would you move in our hearts, and as we sing this next song, may it be an anthem uh, of our life. May it generate within us a deep passion to, to respond to you in a way that 
um, that says, God, I want to be the person who has my eyes open, who doesn't become uh, numb, who doesn't become blinded to the things you put across my path. I want to be a person who lives by the principle of do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. I can't solve every problem, but I can fix the one in front of me. And as you give us opportunity to do that, when we step into it, experience the joy of partnering with you to do that in this world, because you care about it. People matter to you. So, Father, would you speak to us in these next few moments as we worship you, as we lean into your commitment to us, that you did for us what no one else could do. You saved us. You rescued us in your Son. We pray in his name.